Once again, it's good to be with you tonight, and thank you so very much for your being here. And if you are visiting with us, we are especially grateful that you are present. If you have your Bibles, please turn to Acts chapter 27. And in just a minute, we'll be looking at a very interesting story, a nautical story about sailing. I would be amiss if I did not take a moment to thank you on behalf of Lisa and I for your very kind reception and the invitation by the elders to come and be here and to speak and to be considered to be uh, the possibility of being your minister. It's been a wonderful time to be able to visit with folks. Looking forward to visiting with people more after services as we enjoy some food together. Uh, we were able to meet with the elders and their wives and eat with them this afternoon and then have a meeting afterwards. We had a wonderful time together. And whatever the future holds, it's been a blessing for us to be able to be here and we thank you so, so very much and pray the very best will be yours and pray that uh, the opportunity will be able for us to see each other again. Within the pages of God's word, we see that in the days of the apostles, sailing was the main way of getting from one place to another. Our Lord would make countless trips and boats or sailing vessels across the Sea of Galilee. Later in missionary journeys, Paul and others would use sailing vessels to travel great distances. In Acts chapter 27, we find that Paul is a prisoner for the cause of Christ. They were trying to sail to Rome. And he had told those that were in control of the ship that it was too late to sail. That in fact, if they did, they might have some trouble, but they ignored that advice. And so as we take up reading here in verse 27, they have encountered troubled waters. And as they are getting close to land, they see the need for them to drop anchor. I begin reading in Acts chapter 27, verse 27. Now when the 14th night had come, as we were driven up and down in the Adriatic Sea, about midnight the sailors sensed that we were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they had gone a little farther, they took soundings again and found it to be 15 fathoms. Then fearing lest we should run aground the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. In our lives, we too are spiritually charting a course with our destination or hopeful port of call being heaven. God certainly wants that of his people. And he has promised for us, if we will be faithful and true to his cause, that ultimately through our vessel, the church, we can in fact be with him in that wonderful place called heaven. That was certainly the plan of our Lord when in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 24, he said, then cometh the end, when he shall have delivered up the kingdom, that is the church, to God, even the Father, when he shall have put down all rule and authority and power, the kingdom, the Lord's church, is going to be delivered to God in heaven. And we certainly should desire to be a part of that church. Tonight, I want us to think about as we approach the shore, as we think about our lives working in such a way so that we can live with God one day in heaven. Just as they were on this particular occasion in a literal boat trying to get to 
the right protocol. So the same should be true in our lives in terms of things that we should do today so that we can ultimately be in that place of heaven itself. So as we approach the shore, I'd like for us to think about these things. First of all, as we approach the shore, let's sink in our anchor. Verse 29. You see there that they put four anchors on either side of the ship and dropped that so that they would stay where they needed to be. Interestingly enough, the word anchor is only found three times in the New Testament. We know that today's anchors are made of steel and metal and can be weigh thousands of pounds. The term drop anchor literally means for it to come attached to a chain out of the boat and drift to the bottom of the, of the, of the, of the ground or the water, the bottom of the ocean, so that the ship will not move. If you've ever been on a boat and you know that that ship becomes docked or comes to port, huge ropes that are secured to the ship, hundreds of feet long, are used to tie up the ship next to the dock so that it will not move in any way. There's no slack or leeway whatsoever so that the boat stays secure and does not rock or give any way, in any way. I've been told by seafaring sailors that the strength of the anchor is in the chain itself. It's the strands of chain that support the anchor and keep the boat secure. Spiritually speaking, we too are a part of that chain that binds us together as we fight against Satan. However, we are only as strong as the weakest link. And so we need to be as strong as brothers and sisters in Christ so that we can support one another. And so that we can be the people that we need to be as God wants us to be. In 1 Corinthians 12, verses 25 through 27, he talks about the church as a body, all having various parts, all working together for the common good. He says there should be no schism or division in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. If one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. If one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. You and I as Christians are a part of that chain that supports one another, that holds up one another in time of need. But also, we are blessed that our anchor is embedded in the rock of Jesus himself and the promises that he offers us. That better life that he shows us, not only through scripture, but also in the hope of a better place. That anchor is talked about in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, when he says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul. It's both sure and steadfast, and enters into that within the veil. Our Lord is for us that sure and steadfast anchor. In Acts 4, verse 12, they would say about him, Neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And so as we approach the shore, as we desire to spend our eternity in heaven, let's make sure that our life is embedded in the anchor of Jesus Christ and the church. But secondly, as we approach the shore, we need to stay in the ship. 
Look at verses 30 and 31. And as the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they let down the skiff into the sea under pretense of putting out anchors from the bow or prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, Unless these stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Then the soldiers cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. Some of these soldiers, once they realized that they were in troubled waters, wanted to flee and forget the soldiers. They wanted to to fend for themselves, and they were going to try to escape and get out of the ship. Paul made that statement, unless you stay in the ship, they're going to lose their life. So it is spiritually in our lives that there are people today that are trying to leave the Lord's church, that ship that we should all be a part of. That they should think about the waters that others are offering them, the things of this world, churches that are about entertainment or flash or things of that nature. The Bible tells us that we spiritually need to stay in the Lord's church. Within the pages of God's Word, the church is often talked about in various ways. In Ephesians 3 verse 15, it's referred to as the family of God. In Hebrews 12, verse 23, it's referred to as the church of the firstborn. In Acts 20, verse 28, it's referred to as the church of God. Take heed, he said to the elders at Ephesus, unto yourself and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. It's interesting that our Lord is so descriptive in Scripture concerning that which he gave his life for, his church. He points out in vivid detail how many churches he owns and what church we need to be a part of. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, Christ is referred to as the captain of our salvation. He's the captain, if you will, of our ship, the church, because he's the head of it. Sometimes in the religious world, people will say, well, you go to this church and you go to that church and you go your way and I go my way and there's several ways to get to Nashville and we all end up in Nashville, so there's several ways to get to heaven and you go your way and I go my way and they're all just the same. God's word suggests elsewhere and otherwise. Let's take for just a moment the book of Ephesians and see what it says to us about the oneness of the Lord's church. What does God's word, rather than talk about what I say or what you say or what somebody else thinks, let's let God do the speaking. In Ephesians chapter 4, in verse 4, we can easily read, There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. These are often referred to as the seven ones. One Spirit. No one argues about there being more than one Holy Spirit. One hope of your calling. No one talks about more than our hope of heaven, which is our ultimate desire and hope. One Lord. No one's going to argue about there being two. One faith. 
Nobody argues about that. One baptism found in Scripture, immersion for the forgiveness of sins. One God and Father of all. Nobody's going to argue about that. And so what is this one body? Well, go back one page to chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. And listen to what he says about that one body. And that put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that fills all in all. Now Ephesians 4, 4 says there's one body. Here he defines what that one body is. He gave all things under his feet, gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body. What's the body? It's the church. How many does our Lord have? He has but one. In case we misunderstand that, flip a couple of pages over to Ephesians 5, verse 23. Listen to what he says as he talks about husbands and wives and their love one for another. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. What does that tell us? Our Lord is the captain. He's the head of his church. How many does he have? He has one. What does he do for those within that church? He saves them. He's the Savior of the body. Isn't it interesting if you put it all together, how simple it is? Then you go to Acts chapter 2, verse 47. When the day, when the, the, the doors of the church were opened on that day of Pentecost, when several thousand obeyed the word of God and became New Testament Christians. And the Bible tells us that on that day they were praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church such as were being saved. Jesus was doing exactly what Ephesians 5.23 says he would do. Be the savior of his church. He was doing here exactly what he does today, adds those to his church. My church means it belongs to me. Our Lord is the Savior of it. Today, when people are suggesting, be a part of this, be a part of that, be a part of names that cannot be found in God's Word, our Lord says simply, don't abandon ship. Stay in the church. Don't allow what the world has to offer you. Get away from what my plan set forth in Scripture is. In fact, the Bible tells us toward the end of God's Word, 2 John being one of the last books that were written, whosoever transgresses and abides not in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He that abides in the doctrine of Christ, he has both the Father and the Son. We've got to abide in the doctrine of Christ. We've got to do what He says in the way that He says for it to be. By so doing, we can stay faithful and true to the Lord's church that He wants us to be a part of. Paul would say after he talked about the greatness of the resurrection of Christ in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 58, therefore, that is in light of that, my beloved brethren, you be steadfast, be unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Why? For as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord, 
our Lord never told a lie. If we are faithful and true, if we do not abandon ship in the Lord's church, He will deliver that home in heaven to us. And so we need to be a part of that. Thirdly, as we approach the shore, it's important that we keep ourselves fit. Look there in verses 33 and 34 as to what Paul was saying. Verses 33 and 34. And as day was about to dawn, Paul implored them all to take food, saying, Today is the fourteenth day that you have waited and continued without food and eaten nothing. Therefore I urge you to take nourishment, for this is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. They had been two weeks without food. Needless to say, they were malnourished. Needless to say, they were going to need strength to be able to swim, to get off the ship, to be able to get to dry land. They needed to keep themselves physically fit, and so he encouraged them to eat. We're about to eat here in a little while, and how wonderful that will be. But just as we know that physical food is important to us for our daily sustenance, so also spiritual food is so vitally important for our spiritual existence. In fact, John had a friend by the name of Gaius. And in 3 John 2, he says to him, Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health as thy soul prospers. Now did you catch that? He was saying, I want you to be as strong physically as you are spiritually. Spiritually, his diet was wonderful. His growth was phenomenal. Physically, he had some ailments. And so here, he was talking about him growing physically better because already his soul was prospering because of the spiritual food that he was digesting. Certainly a study of God's Word can make and keep us strong. The psalmist would say in Psalm 119, verses 3 and 4, How sweet are thy words unto my taste! Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Therefore I hate every false way. Almost everyone in America has a Bible in their home. But so few take the time to study and to feed off the message of God's Word. One Barna study some years ago said that 93% of all Americans owned a Bible. Yet, 57% in an average week never used their Bible. Only 12% only read their Bible on a daily basis. We need to be spiritually fit. Just as they needed food on that ship, so we need spiritual food from God's Word to keep us strong. How did Jesus defeat Satan? Each time He would say, It is written. Using God's Word to defeat the temptations of Satan there in the wilderness. After He had been going without food for 40 days. Not only was study of God's Word help us, but a regular prayer life will help us in our life. In Colossians 4, verse 2, he would say, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. How often do we pray to God, asking God to help us in our life? 
How often do we allow other people's names to come from our lips as we pray not only for our needs, but also for the needs of others? Back home, we have some very good, wonderful friends whose children literally grew up on the pew with us where I preached for 14 years. They developed a habit after one of the girls would go to bed of the mother taking the prayer list from the bulletin. And she would read the name of that person that needed prayer out loud and Sarah, her five-year-old daughter, would pray for that person out loud. And they would go on and on down the list until they were finished and she would go to sleep. That girl is now 13. She is developing into a wonderful, godly Christian girl. Why? Because parents saw and talked to her about the value and importance of prayer. Next, as we approach the shore, we need to keep our spirits high. Look at verses 35 and 36. And when he had said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. Then they were all encouraged. And also they took food themselves. Did you notice that statement that he says there? That he prayed to them, or he prayed and he prayed to God. He gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. Somebody might say, Paul, what did you have to be thankful for? You've almost lost your life. You've gone two weeks without food. What can you possibly be thankful for? Notice in verse 23 that he gave that answer. He said, For there stood by me this night an angel of the God to whom I belong and whom I serve. He was thankful to God because he belonged to God and he was able to serve God. When we know who we belong to and what our purpose in life is to be able to serve and make a difference in the lives of others, then indeed we are blessed. We need to keep our spirits high. As children of God, there are so many blessings that you and I have. To think about the forgiveness of sins, a family of God, help in our lives. There's so many things that you and I can be thankful for. Somebody was moved to write a poem talking about the great blessings that children of God have. It's entitled, Drinking from the Saucer. I've never made a fortune, and I'll never make one now. But it really doesn't matter because I'm happy anyhow. I go along with my journey reaping better than I've sowed. I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup has overflowed. I don't have many riches and sometimes the going is tough. But with my church family loving me, I think I'm rich enough. I'll thank God for his blessings, his mercy he bestows. I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup has overflowed. If he gives me strength and courage when the road grows steep and rough, I'll not ask for other blessings. I'm already blessed enough. May I never be too busy to help another's load. I'm drinking from the saucer because my cup has overflowed. But then next, as we approach the shore, we need to get rid of any unnecessary baggage. 
Look at verse 38 of this chapter. So when they had eaten enough, they lightened the ship and threw out the wheat into the sea. What had been important was now unimportant. They had to lighten the ship so that they could get it as close to ground, uh, to the land as possible, so that they could then get off the boat and be able to swim to dry land. They needed to lighten their load. Spiritually, there may be some habits in our lives that you and I need to get rid of if we're going to be the people of God that we ought to be. The writer would say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, Wherefore, seeing we also encompass about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight, and the sin which does so easily weighs us down. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Folks who are in training will know that they work with weights and they may even wear weights, but when the time of the event comes about or the race comes about, they will take off anything that will slow them down. Their clothes are minimal. In swimming, they'll even cut all their hair off so that it will not slow them in any way as they swim in the vents. Spiritually speaking, you and I need to get rid of anything in our lives that weighs us down from being the people of God that we ought to be. As brothers and sisters in Christ, we have the opportunity to help one another with our own burdens. Romans 12, verse 15, Rejoice with them that do rejoice, but also weep with them that weep. Or Galatians 6, verse 2, Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. These saw the need to get rid of unnecessary baggage, and we must do the same as people of God. And then finally, as we approach the shore, we need to realize that there may be some rough seas ahead. There in verse 41, we see that they saw the need to get off the boat to, to be able to go to dry land. But striking a place where two seas met, they ran the ship aground. And the prow stuck fast and remained unmovable. And the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. These prisoners, along with the soldiers, all had to get off because the ship was disintegrating. The water and the power of the storm was all working together so that they had to leave it. There was going to be some troubled waters. They couldn't just drift in. They would have to work hard to get to dry land, which is, in fact, what they did. In God's Word, there is never the idea that being a Christian is going to be so easy for a person to live. Someone has said, God has not promised us a smooth passage, but only a safe landing. Listen to what he said in John 16, verse 33. These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, because I have overcome the world. Or Paul, in one of the last chapters that he ever penned before his death, would say in 2 Timothy 3, verse 12, 12 Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Yet we have to believe that Jesus, the captain of our salvation, is also that faithful pilot that will lead us home. 
Some of you perhaps have been on a, a boat before, perhaps on a cruise. On our 25th anniversary in October of 2003, we celebrated that wedding anniversary by taking a cruise to Cozumel and Playa de Carmen. We drove down to New Orleans where we got on the boat holiday and we got on the holiday boat and we went to those two places for about four days. Later on, we found out that from the port of New Orleans out to the Gulf of Mexico is a trip of 120 miles. And also when they come back from the Gulf of Mexico, back into the port of New Orleans on the Mississippi River, it's also 120 miles. And for both of those stints, they would not use the same pilot that was out there in the seas. But they got someone that knew the waters. They knew every crook, every low spot, places to avoid. Because they wanted to make sure that someone who was experienced would take them out to the proper place and then bring us back to the proper place. Aren't we grateful that tonight we have a pilot who has successfully navigated this world without sin, who knows the struggles that you go through, who knows the problems that you deal with, who is our intercessor before God himself as we pray to him, who can show us in his word how to successfully live that life so as to live with him one day in heaven. How did he put it in John 14, verse 3? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Tonight, is your life anchored in Jesus Christ? Are you staying within the ship, the church, and being faithful and true to it? Spiritually, are you keeping yourself fit and your spirits high as you study from God's Word and allow it to be consumed within you? Are you getting rid of any unnecessary worldly baggage that weighs you down so that you can be the Christian that you need to be? Are you trusting in Jesus, our pilot, so that one day you can live with Him in heaven? Tonight, if you're not a child of God, we invite you to become one to begin that journey with Jesus as the captain of your salvation, to come in believing faith, turning from the sins of your life, confessing His sweet name as God's only Son, and then being baptized tonight. All things are in a state of readiness for you to do that. Most of you have already done that. Are there some things that you need to get rid of in your life? Are there some things that you need to be better at? Are you beginning to think about straying from the Lord's church? Why not come back home? Why not ask for the help of these brethren here with the struggles that you have? Because heaven will surely be worth it all. Why not come to Him tonight, right now, as we stand and sing this song?